Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Bill, good to see you, sir. Thanks, Joel. Good to be here. All righty, so we've got a lot to talk about here as we talk about uh, United Way of Erie County and your emphasis on uh, on community schools and self-sufficiency. But I want to start with this concept, this this Alice report that we received. And this is from the United Way of Pennsylvania, of which you guys are participants with, right? But it right. talks about this concept of Alice. Can you explain what Alice is? Yeah, sure. So ALICE is an acronym. It stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. A little convoluted, but the idea is these are folks who are not technically in poverty based on the federal poverty level, but they aren't making enough money to get by without some kind of public or private assistance. And so it was actually the United Way in New Jersey that developed this, and now it's starting to spread across the country. Um, but it's an easy way to talk about folks who are working hard, but, you know, aren't quite there. And, and there, there are significant numbers of people, even in Erie County, that are considered Alice. It's uh, 32,705 households are uh, in the Alice uh, range. We have 17,000 households that are in poverty and 59, call it 60,000 households that are above the Alice threshold. 55% are above Alice, but gosh, 46% are either totally in poverty or in that income constrained and, and just really like living paycheck to paycheck, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so... Um, the you know what 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 this report is saying that uh, Alice off you know people that are in this mode often earn too much to qualify for government assistance, but there's no room in emergency expenses. And I always heard you got to have like five hundred or a thousand dollars in the bank just just to cover that emergency. You know when the when when you blow a, a head gasket or you know your refrigerator dies, right? You're saying right. that these folks can't do that. Oh, that's correct. Yeah, there's it's like you said, paycheck to paycheck. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a concept I think we're all familiar with. And many of us, you know, live in, in that in that world. Um, but we're just trying to, you know, through this project, shine a light on the fact that um, there are a lot of folks who are working hard and doing everything they're supposed to do. Right. Following all the rules, all the things we were taught and just aren't quite there yet. So uh, what we like to talk about the solution sides, and I know that uh, you know there's a there's a there's a a, a strong um, social service network that that we provide, and of course United Way uh, is a sponsor of of two one one. But are they available? I mean, do people in this realm are they eligible for some of the things that the social service agencies? Give out. I guess you could always go to the food bank. That's not really needs based, is it? Or uh, what are some of those? You know, like, like what would people do in the, when they're in this predicament? I guess. Well, as you said, first thing is is call two one one because they have the database and the information. But I think you're getting to a broader point, and that is, you know, and, I mean, when it comes to public assistance, it's very difficult. Um, we're talking about when I say that, I'm talking about the government, meaning our tax dollars, right, yeah. going to help folks. And so you can't just give, you know, money away. 
you have to have some kinds of, of means testing. Um, but the reality ends up being that some people find themselves in a situation where they could better themselves financially, I shouldn't say financially, better themselves, you know, in their own uh, job situation, but then they would lose more benefits and they would gain from the employment. And now with COVID, we found, I just talked to employers that are about this, right? This is not me making this up. This isn't, I'm not reading, you know, somebody's online post. This is talking to employers who are saying, we're finding it even harder to hire people because it's cheap. I'm sorry, it's more beneficial for them financially to stay home than to, get, to come to a job. Um, I, and I'm not espousing an answer to this. So just, we're just talking about, you know, what's going on. Well, yeah. And again, right now there's that, we've been talking about that extra 300 that the feds are adding to unemployment. Unemployment's been extended. And so if you're in that kind of that situation where you got laid off um, or you're concerned about COVID or what have you, or you're taking care of a, a someone who is, uh, is vulnerable, uh, you still might, if again, if you think about somebody who's making what eight hundred a week, uh, and they're getting four hundred from the state unemployment, three hundred from the feds, they're almost made whole without working, you know, uh, as opposed to working. So there's the unemployment bucket, but then there's also this concept of um, of just not able to get ahead, and uh, you know, and what in in the outsized expenses for things. So I'm thinking about our town. And, and again, um, uh, I don't know if I have any strong data other than vital signs, but it's pretty expensive to rent uh, uh, a place to live here in Erie versus that same place, if it was available to be purchased, would probably be a lot less per month for these people. And so we have like all these issues where if you could get if you could get the credit rating, you could buy the house and save on your housing expenses, right? If you could get the, um, uh, if you can get ahead with another job, uh, maybe you can kind of grow out of it. And of course, the key here is education, like what you guys have found with United Way, right? Well, that, that's absolutely the point. And you know, I don't. We never want to get political, right? Um, because there's so many different points of view and so many valid, you know, options and suggestions and points of view. But without a doubt, and this is this is not debatable, um, the key to solving the cycle of poverty is education. That doesn't mean every single person who gets a college degree is going to be successful and have a job. That's not our point. Our point is leveling the playing field. You know, we're, we're talking a lot about equity these days. If we can provide a valuable, equitable education to every single person, then that levels the playing field. And after that, it's up to them. And it has to be. I mean, this is not, you know, a society where everyone gets, you know, giveaways. But if we don't, if we, if they start behind and stay behind, that's our fault. Wow. Wow. Uh, there is advocacy that the United Way does that you do partnerships uh, to um, address the needs of the community here. And uh, and of course, the, the data has uh, been out there. And, and again, the, the concept that 77 percent of Pennsylvanians uh, have one month or less in savings, that's um, I mean, I feel like, you know, you know, we've got to figure out a way to kind of generate that uh, those baby steps, those Dave Ramsey baby steps, if you will, to to, you know, yeah. to just get a little bit more finances under your feet. And again, that's not for everybody. Um, the uh, is it tough? Uh, and, and again, 
I'd love for you to share your heart, but this community here, we've got what's quote the the poorest zip code in Pennsylvania, if not one of the poorest in America. And, and you and you just saw that we have seventeen percent in poverty, uh, thirty seven or forty seven percent that are Alice and under. Is it tough to kind of get people out of that cycle to kind of get them to break through to self sufficiency? Well, I mean, it has to be tough. If it wasn't, we would have done it already, right? But it's not yeah. us doing it, right? You know, sometimes you use the phrase lifting people out of poverty. You don't lift anyone out of poverty. You give them the tools for themselves to lift themselves out of poverty. And it's so myriad. I mean, you know, some of it's attitudinal, some of it's behavioral, it's their, you know, history. And there are definitely, without a question, institutional roadblocks for, for the person who has the best intention and the best worth ethic in the world to get beyond. So, you know, I'm not saying that it's simple or in any case, you know, we have any answers other than the fact that look, we pick the one thing we know that works and that's education and we're working on it. If, if that's all that happened, no, that wouldn't do it. it there's, it's society, it's, it's, you know, way beyond what United Way can do. But if we don't do our part, and when I say United Way, I'm talking about not just our organization, but the community coming together in, in a united way, yeah. which is how their name came from, um, then you know we're, we're, we're never going to get there. I want you to comment about the American Rescue Plan. Uh, you were quoted in the newspaper today. Um, uh, there, there are a couple elements there. Of course, there's the $1,400 a person uh, stimulus check, and then there is the ongoing six months worth of uh, child tax credits. Um, is this a Band-Aid? Is this a, a fix? Does this need to be permanent? What's your thoughts, Bill Jackson? Well, thanks for bringing that up, Joel. Um, so, I mean, obviously, any kind of assistance is helpful. I mean, the folks we're talking about um, really need, need help. But that, if that's all we do is write them a check, that's not the answer long term. And that's why we talk about education. That's why we talk about leveling the playing field. Everyone I know wants to make life successful on their own. They don't want that handout. They want to be able to achieve. What we're trying to do is give everyone the opportunity to achieve for themselves. I know, I mean, pe people who are not achieving by themselves, who are just, you know, given something, they don't appreciate it. They don't want that. That's not what they want. And I can't speak for everybody. I don't mean to sound like that. Um, but our point of view is, yeah, I mean, if, if someone needs a lifesaver, you throw them a lifesaver. Right. No question about it. But at some point, everyone needs to know how to swim. The, uh, the, the thought, too, of, of facilitating success Again, the and the point for for on the United Way's part is education, but the idea of setting somebody up for success. So whether it is learning those soft skills so you can perform well, uh, uh, you know, in on an interview or or you know, resume help or some of the things that you know, like the climate changers are doing or some of the other places where where they're bringing people uh, on reentry, right? They're coming from incarceration, and they're able to make a, a new change uh, uh, to to really get back into society. Um, the uh, that's for the folks that 
you know, are not the early childhood, you know, the folks that you guys are working with, um, do you see that they can, that that could be a, a, a solid solution for those that, uh, that maybe are too old for the educational piece? Well, absolutely, without a doubt. And in fact, we in the Erie Community Foundation were the initial founders of the, the reentry program in Erie County. So we definitely believe in that. Um, the thing is, we can't do everything, right? right? So we've chosen a focus, but you're absolutely right. This needs to be addressed at every level as society and as a community. Yeah, and, and again, uh, uh, just getting getting people launched to, to be self-sufficient. Let's, let's talk about, you know, the United Way of what we think of, you know, the, like the brand of the United Way, which is, you know, I give a little bit at my shop uh, every week or so on. Is that still kind of where where things are at or is that has that changed that how it's funded, I should say? Sure. Well, yeah, it has changed. I mean, that's still a big piece of it. Um, you know, the idea that anybody can be a philanthropist mm. um, is, is key to to what we do. Um, but you know, in our, we're over a hundred years old here in Erie County wow. uh, under various names and formats. The United but, Fund, right? Wasn't yeah. it the original one? Oh, community chess. Community chess. Oh my gosh. I mean, wow. wow. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me about that. But anyway, <laughs> we'll um, have to get Jonathan Burdick to pull out some of the old ads from the newspaper from a hundred years ago. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. But in any case, um, you know, the, the old concept was that United Way was in business of, raising funds to provide dollars to a select small number of what we called member agencies. Right. Uh, when I started in 1996, I think we had 40. And when you think about the fact that there are at least 400 nonprofits in Erie County, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a small elite group and they did great work. There's no question about it. The problem was we were helping, you know, a family here, a child there, a senior citizen over there, uh, with their particular issue, but we weren't getting to the root causes. We weren't, you know, getting to the point of why do we need to help all of these people? And that's what caused our board. And I'm going back 20 years here, Joel, our board to say, you know, what do we need to do differently? And um, just recently, when I say recently, maybe a year ago, um, I heard uh, a United Way director in Texas say, that it's time to stop measuring our success by the number of people we help and start measuring it by the number of people that don't need our help anymore. Mm. And I think that sums up the philosophy in the chain. When you talk about transactional versus transformational, I think that sums up what we're doing. The problem was we didn't know how to do it, right? right. We had this aspiration, we had this idea, um, but we learned, and one of the great things about the United Way Network, and I hope everyone understands, we're all local organizations. No one at the top and you know, at, at, at the you know, parent organization tells us what to do. Uh, they make sure we're on the up and up, but after that, it's up to us. And what we learned was that there's a concept, it's called collective impact, and you could do a whole series of shows on, on that, Joel, but the idea is bring the community together uh, it's got to be guided by a backbone organization, which I kind of liken to a conductor of an orchestra, okay. right? The conductor doesn't play the instruments, but the conductor puts it all together ahead of time and then makes it happen. And that's kind of our role. And you mentioned community schools. While that's not all we do, that's, that's our flagship um, option because we talked earlier about the concept of education being the key. And when we talk about education, we're not talking about, you know, 
read and write and arithmetic because that's the school's job. And, and people sometimes say United Way, what do you have to do with education? The issue with, with education in our community and, and not our community all over is that so many kids come to school with these barriers to learning that are non-academic. It's their family situation. It's their behavioral health. It's their mental and physical health. Um, they're hungry. They, you know, it, on and on and on. They come from a neighborhood that's not stable. And so these are the kinds of issues that United Ways have always been addressing, but we did it, like I said before, here and there and everywhere. And now with community schools, we bring the services that address these barriers right into the schools, not just for the kids, but for their families and for other folks in the neighborhood. This is not meant to be exclusive to the students. And while at the end of the day, our goal is that these kids succeed and then proceed in life. And as I said before, this, this is the idea of leveling the playing field. Um, the idea of community schools marries what United Ways do so well with what the, fun, the folks that we fund, the organizations that do the work do so well. And it's very com it's coming together in a way that we were tentative, like we, we were excited about it, but we had no idea is this the way to go. And now we have 10 community schools and we expect to be growing that. And not just in the city, it's, you know, we have uh, two uh, in, in county and growing that as well. Um, but I think that's, you know, when you talk about transactional transformational, that's the essence of it. Well, it sounds very, it, very much like some of the other conversations we have during COVID about why some populations are getting hurt worse uh, with the pandemic than others. And, uh, and, and that whole phrase of the social determinants of health, mm -hmm. you could almost say that the, the social determinants of education, uh, you know, are going to dictate whether you have an honor student and somebody going to, uh, you know, a four-year university and someone who, you know, may not even stay in school. I just wrote down social determinants of education. Uh, I think that was brilliant on your part. So um, I'm going to use that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I, you know, I keep on hearing it everywhere, right? Of, uh, of like, why can't, you know, why can't somebody get the vaccine? Well, they, they don't have IT to get the vaccine, right? And, yep. and so you, you think about, you just mentioned all of these barriers, right? And again, we're in this town where there's so many cool things going on. You know, the EDDC, I just drove past there. It's, it's a construction zone, right? You, you see yep. what's going on at Marquette. You see what's going on, um, you know, in other places in the community. But then you have this other eerie. You have this other eerie where, where people are, are um, just not getting by or they're – or you know, or they're they you know they're sitting at home in front of a of a of a screen trying trying to get through that math class, and it's super hard, especially if they don't have the entire um, support system around them, right? No, absolutely, yes. So 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 again, I I don't like to always just bring up problems. Community <laughs> schools is part of the solution, and so uh, I think about this. Let's let's talk this through a second here. Uh, first off, were the community schools able to do their thing during remote learning or were they kind of shut down? Uh, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, some people said, geez, what do you, you know, what are you doing when the kids aren't in school? And the fact of the matter is this is where community schools really shined. And here's the key. Family relationships. Mm. Um Family engagement in school, particularly with the younger kids, right, the grade school, elementary, elementary and, and middle school, 
um, is so vital and yet it la it's very lacking. And again, this is everywhere. This isn't sure. And one of the beauties of the community school model is that the model engages the families in the process. They are brought in as partners in the process. Too many parents, families um, have a negative concept of school. Either, you know, they didn't like it when they went and or the only time they get called by the school is when there's something wrong, right? right? Yeah. So the community school model reverses that. We're engaging the parents in positive environments. So we first started with the very first five schools uh, five years ago, actually. And so we've built up a history in those schools particularly, but others as we've come along. And so that when COVID hit, I want to talk about two things. The first was when everything kind of shut down, by having relationships with families, we were able to reach out to them and find out who needed what in terms of basic needs. And so we were starting to distribute food boxes and wow. hygiene products and that kind of a thing, connecting them with needs. And then when the schools started reopening remotely and the districts did a great job you know, on our own, but with those relationships with families, we were able to help them directly understand how to connect, why it's necessary to connect, that kind of thing. We're talking to Bill Jackson. He is the president of the United Way of Erie County. We've been talking about community schools, and, and, and Bill, you're bringing up a great point that because of the relationships of those community schools, uh, your community schools directors and, uh, and the resources there were able to help these families navigate remote learning. So now that we are coming back to class in, in most of these districts now, um, are we able to do things like, uh, you know, the health screenings at school and, you know, are people coming in and out or is that still kind of a dicey thing for the community, school, community yeah, schools directors? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still a little bit of a dicey thing. Um, yeah. we got to navigate back, back to that. Um, and that's, that's what they're working on. But, you know, if you ask me today, where's the situation, it's still not there. Okay, so we're 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 working our way back to uh, the fully orb thing. It, it is it is interesting to me bec uh, because it just makes so much sense that your school is kind of the the center of your neighborhood, and, th and that that could be a place where people that don't that have such a hard time having access to health uh, to better health outcomes, better mental health outcomes. Um, and, and, and there's more there, isn't, isn't there like a, a fiscal education? What are some of those programs that you guys teach? Yeah, well, so um, GED is one of the things that we brought into one of the schools, just as an example. And, um, you know, you're speaking to aspects of the model that we're still working on. We're okay. still fairly young with this. And, of course, COVID kind of put us, when you talk about that aspect of it, put yeah. us behind a bit. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. You know, financial literacy classes, you know, Anything that you can think of that would benefit a family can be offered in the community school. It's just a matter of the school, and, and it's determined at the school level. And I'm not talking about the principal making a law. I'm talking about um, a group we call it the community school leadership team. And that will consist of family members being part of that team to help decide what, we need, what do we need here. Are, when do you start? Uh, when are you going to start being able to measure outcomes to see? Okay, we're we're seeing these children have better, you know, uh, p uh, standardized test scores. And I, again, COVID is kind of <laughs> throwing that for a loop as well. But like, yeah. what what are what are your hopes for outcomes? So um, I mean, let, let's just eliminate COVID from the discussion for a moment. Okay. And we can 
you know, bring reality back in. But um, when you talk about the test scores, you know, we have many children in our districts throughout Erie County, uh, some more than others, um, who, are, who are way behind on those test scores. And it's not, it's going to take a long time. You know, you can't just flip a switch. But what we already noticed, when I say noticed, we were looking intently at, uh, it's something called a PVOS score. It's a technicality at the state level. But the point is, it's measuring not where you are, but how much progress are you making? Mm -hmm. And what we've noticed is in the community schools that the kids were making progress more rapidly than they had been. Uh, And, you know, admittedly, that's an early indicator, but it's an indicator. It's a real thing. And then you match that up with the fact that the teachers are telling us that this is making a difference and who better to ask than a teacher, is this working? So you put those two things together and, and I say teachers, I mean, principals, you know, the whole administration at the school, put those two things together and we know we're on the right track. Again, COVID kind of put a little wrinkle into it. It, it, On the one hand, it slowed some things down. On the other hand, it showed the remarkable adaptability of this model to deal with whatever's going on. And, you know, this year it was COVID. Five years from now, it could be something completely different. And the fact that you've got family engagement, you've got folks talking together about what needs to be done for the welfare of the children, and it can deal with anything. That's that's really cool. Uh, What are your hopes and dreams, Bill Jackson, on the whole community schools model? Would you like to see one of these in, in every, for example, every elementary school or every middle school in Erie County? What do you think is the is the um, kind of the goal setting there. Yeah, our aspiration is that every elementary, middle, and high school is a community school. It has this model built in. We can't do it. United Way will never have the resources to make that happen on our own. We are starting to notice at the national and state level that the community school model is recognized as something that works. And so when you take the millions of dollars that come into, you know, school districts from taxation and you put it toward models that are proven to work and you have an organization like United Way who can help, you know, with our knowledge and our backbone experience, because you have to have that. The the districts just can't do it on their own. Mm -hmm. When I say they can't, I don't mean to disparage them at all. What I'm saying is they're not built for that. Right? Somebody needs to be the champion over here for the model right i mean yeah. that's kind of like what you guys are bringing to the table is we're the champion we're bringing the we're re- bringing the robust organizational part of this while the while the school district does the education the reading writing rhythm r- r- <laughs> you know what i'm saying right cool let me tell you this my oldest daughter is a fourth grade teacher she lives in texas but she's a public school teacher in texas and she was never trained to deal with the social issues yeah. of her children. She was trained how to teach them. Yeah. And she told me a few years ago, she had a, a student um, who was sexually abused mm-hmm. and could not control her bowels in class. And my daughter has to deal with this when what she knows how to do is, like you said, reading, writing, arithmetic. Yeah. Um, so I just, that's a personal anecdote, but that's exactly the point is the, the schools and the teachers can't be expected to deal. What? Shoot, when I was in grade school, what was the big issue? Chewing gum in class. Yes, yeah. I mean, the girls weren't getting pregnant in my, high, in my grade school, my eighth grade, they weren't. Right. 
And again, then you deal with the whole concept of trauma. We've had so many trauma conversations and so on. There's so many layers here of what we're expecting from the schools and the teachers. And if this partner of this community schools can come parallel uh, along, w helping the kids, helping the families, kind of uh, dropping these barriers, it, it just seems like it would be an, a, a remarkable thing. And and again, it's it, it's. Um, not everything is about money either. Not everything is about uh, social economic status. I mean, you got trauma in rich families and in poor families. You've got uh, yep. uh, you've got family dysfunction in every single kind of family. And and what these folks are doing, it sounds like, is is bringing bringing expertise on that side of the of the ledger, if you will. All right, no I got to I got to keep moving here because uh, we're down to our last five, uh, ten or ten or fifteen minutes. Raising readers, talk about that. What's what's that all about, Bill Jackson? Okay, so raising readers, right? Um, research is explosively adamant that um, if children aren't reading at grade level by the end of third grade, they are so much more likely to end up not graduating from high school on time much more likely to be involved in the criminal justice system because of this. Just put it very simply. Before fourth grade, right, by the end of third grade, children are being taught how to read. After that, they're expected to read to learn. Yeah. Well, guess what? If you can't read with comprehension and you move into fourth grade and you're expected to be able to do that, this is where the disparity occurs. This is where you start to see the, the uh, achievement decline um and there's no there's no question about it and so raising readers is about the idea of having every child on erie county reading at grade level by the end of third grade that's the aspirational goal right yeah and so it has three main components uh in no particular order but one is being ready for school being ready when you go to kindergarten you're ready to learn um and that means having had some exposure to um literature for example our imagination library program but it's not just academic, it's it's the social, you know, behavioral ideas that you can like stand in line or you know how to go to, I'm sorry, but you know how to use the restroom on sure. your own. I mean, these are the kinds of things. So there's school readiness, there's school attendance. You can have the best schools, the best teachers, if the children don't show up for myriad reasons. And, you know, I know some people's mind goes to, oh, the, the parents don't care. Uh, okay, maybe, but how about if the child can't get there? What if a child is actually expected to raise their younger children? I mean, there's so many reasons why a child may not come to school. Hmm. And then we talk about summer learning. And, and the idea with summer learning is something called the summer slide. Um, children who are not um, stimulated during the summer with various activities, if they're just out on their own, hanging out all summer, uh, they show up in September and basically they're two to three months behind where they were. And it's cumulative. By the end of fifth grade, they could be two to three years behind where they're supposed to be. Wow. So so re Raising Readers is concentrating on these three aspects. Uh, we have strategies in each and every one. And when I say we, we're just facilitating the group of community experts who know what's, you know, what's what. Um, and just as in a very simple example is kindergarten registration. Uh, when parents don't register their child for kindergarten and they show up and here's my child and the school didn't know they were coming, wow. um, it's very hard for the school to be prepared in terms of how many teachers they need, what kind of classrooms they need, you know, all the, that kind of thing. 
I heard one school superintendent say it's not the child's uh, duty to be ready for school. It's the school's duty to be ready for the child. That's all well and good, except that the school doesn't know the child's coming. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is, is that a, is that a, uh, a fault of just communication to what is expected of parents of kindergartners? And again, uh, we'll talk about, uh, um, uh, you know, those those things that you, you know when you when you when you work at three jobs just to make life work you you, you may not be up on the uptick of of that nuanced uh, announcement on on a on a school district's website or something like that no I, yeah you're absolutely right and so what we're looking at is how are we, how can we make it easier for that parent that you're talking about to know that this is coming up and what to do about it right um, how, is- how much do we need to have outreach like, uh, you know, parties and, and uh, you know, door knockers and, and uh, things like that and, you know, that kind of communication? Radio spots. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, what's it, what's it going to take to kind of get everybody on the same page? Well, that's what we're working on. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're putting, um, you know, flyers on pizza boxes. Uh, shout out to Little Caesars. Cool. Um, but, you know, just as an example. So that, that's the kind of outreach that you're talking about, that grassroots outreach. That's what it takes. All right. I'm going to jump over to Imagination Library since you mentioned it. So mm-hmm. you're talking about third grade readiness, uh, how to read so that you can have the comprehension uh, after third grade. But what about uh, the, the, that pre-K, that early learning, that early intervention? That's where Imagination Library comes in, right? Yeah. So real quick, uh, Imagination Library provides a free, uh, brand new, age-appropriate book to any child on Erie County under the age of five through the mail addressed to their name. No income requirements. Right now we're delivering a little over, I'd say about 9,500 books a month, which is 60, 60% of all children under the age of five in Erie County. Um, And it starts at birth. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, many parents read to their children while they're still in the womb. I mean, it, Mm. it, it takes that. The brain the child's brain is 90% wired by the age of five, um, something of that nature. Uh, and so, and, and literacy is such a key component. Um, and it, it's not that we're trying to teach kids to, you know, be able to, you know, read War and Peace or anything, but they need to be exposed to concepts. Like you read from left to right. Like there's something called an author and an illustrator. Like there's a title. Um, and those kinds of so so that when they get to kindergarten, when they're in a structured environment, and and basically, sorry, a little pre plug here, but it should be preschool, not kindergarten. Yeah, because children need that. Uh, but they've you know they got a a starting point. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, and again, this is totally off topic, but how how is our uh, adoption of pre pre K type of learning? Do we do do most of our kids take preschool? Uh, in Erie County, do you know? Okay, sorry, you put me on a spot here. I don't know the stats. Um, but I mean, what well, anecdotally, do you get a sense that we're over fifty percent that do preschool? You think? Uh, it might be around there. Um, it's not what it should be. And, okay, because I, I, mean, I, 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 you know, again, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, you know, the PNC Bank deal and and all these different things that are out there. Are, right. are, are is, is all that stuff working, or do we need more work on the whole pre-K thing? Well, one of the things we always stress is that the parent is the for a child's first and best teacher. Sure. That being said, the social environment of, of preschool is important. So whatever the stat is, it could be better. Okay. All right. 
All right, now let's jump to um, – and, and, again, we literally have like four minutes left uh, with Bill Jackson from the United Way. Uh, 211 Helpline, which if you ask me, this has been epic during the pandemic to have 211. And I don't know if somebody was a prophet over there to come up with this thing back in – what was it, like 2016 or 17? But uh, it sure helped in 2020. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. Um, and you know, again, it's a it's a it's a free confidential resource that anybody can call um, for non-emergency, you know, needs. You know, your utility's being shut off, or you have a relative with you know an abuse problem or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you think about the idea of two one one, it's when we first launched it, people said, well. That's a no-brainer. I mean, why shouldn't we have that? That, why don't we have that already? Right. Well, I don't know. We just didn't. Um, re- very cool thing that I want to tell you about is that um, when the pandemic hit, and, and go back a year, and sometimes we don't want to do that, but I mean, yeah. we were, wow, what's going on here? And many nonprofits rely on volunteers to deliver their services, and many of those volunteers are retired, you know, and. What the agencies were finding was that the volunteers were drying up because they didn't want to go out and be in that environment. They didn't feel safe. And so Erie County uh, came to us and said, do you think 2-on-1 might be able to like recruit volunteers? And we said, well, I don't know, maybe, but what do we do with them when we find them? And that's where Serve Erie came in. Mm. And Serve Erie said, hey, we know where to put volunteers if you can find them. And so 2-on-1 matched up something like 280 volunteers with eight or nine different social service agencies that without that help, they wouldn't have been able to deliver the services that their clients were counting on. And when we put two on one together, we never dreamed that that would be something that would happen. And isn't it cool that it was there and we could use it for that? Well, yeah. And again, we think about, um, like you said, uh, my, my, my utilities are being shut off or, uh, I, uh, you know, I need a food basket and, and so many other, you know, so, so much, so many resources came to bear because of the pandemic, you, you know, with, with various people doing food boxes and so on. Uh, but uh, all the other things. And then with the vaccine and with with the testing, where do I go for a test and and so on? To, so to have that uh, at, at the press of a button, you know, it's it's really made for this moment and so i congratulate uh, you all at united way for making that happen and and again that directory uh, i would imagine is constantly updated and so on with with information and um you know how does that information flow go if i'm if i run an organization can i can i talk to two on one and say hey i got this going on oh heck yeah in fact that's like you said that's the hardest part is making sure people like you that run an organization get their information in so yeah, we've got a whole way to do that. Um, I'm not going to get into it right sure. now, but just call United Way and we'll tell you how to do it. United Way of Erie County is a local social impact organization on a mission to crush poverty. So as you look ahead, uh, you know, for the remainder of 2021, um, how, what is, do you feel like you're going to be able to make some forward momentum on that whole idea of crushing poverty? Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, and we've talked about, you know, community schools and you know, everything that we're doing. Um, it's all about, and in fact, I was talking to our staff at the beginning of the year and I said, you know, I think I have a word of the year and this is right. We're in the middle of the pandemic. And I said, the word is momentum. And I think that's exactly your question, Joel. 
And we are so dedicated to keeping it going and, and keeping it going faster. Uh, we're meeting the moment. Bill Jackson, the president of the United Way of Erie County, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.